right, welcome back into another blowout victory edition of the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast channel. I told you last week that Boston College didn't matter to me because they're never good enough to matter to me, and this proves it. They don't matter. And so, great job by us. So, let's. we got a lot to cover today. Some of it's, listen, we're to the point of the season where some of this is week to week, but some of it's bigger picture. And we're going to touch some of that today. And so we're going to do kind of a blend and touch all of our bases here. So, so let's get this going, okay? Obviously, you can find me on YouTube at Always Irish. Twitter, type in Always Irish, you can find me, or at JKZND4. The podcast is brought to you by Big Heads Media, can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Like, share, subscribe, review, write mean comments underneath. I don't care what you do. I just like the interaction. Support. For the Always Irish Notre Dame Football Podcast comes from Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools made specifically to, specifically to protect your family jewels. Fellas, manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. How could this be, you ask? John, how is this? It's because Manscaped has completely redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology. This trimmer is guaranteed to not fracture your fornication factory or slice your dice. That's a guarantee from me, okay? And so here's the deal. You got the holidays right around the corner. Pick yourself up a Manscaped package. Give one to your kid. Give one to your roommate. Give one to your brother. Give one to your dad. Uh, if you really want to cause some awkward dinner conversation for Thanksgiving and Christmas, buy one for your daughter's boyfriend. Just, just, just to liven it up a little bit around the dinner table. Okay, so so get on board with this. Get yourself something. Get your loved one something. It's a great gift. And don't forget, Manscaped also has the crop preserver and anti-shaping deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why stop there? Always use the right tools for your jewels. Listen, guys, it's imperative. You got to keep your javelin from unraveling. Seriously, remember, trimmers that are cheap phonies are guaranteed to injure your cojones, okay? So here's the deal. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. Again, that's 20% off and free shipping with the promo code BIGHEADS at manscaped.com. Get on it. Your loved ones will appreciate it. So let, let's let's get into this Boston College situation. And here's here's kind of my overall thinking here. And this is part of an overall assessment of where we're at as a, a program the last couple few years. Okay. So so Notre Dame beats Boston College 40 to 7. Uh, 16 points at the half. There was a just some 
offensive inefficiencies early, penalties, just not very rhythmic. It just a couple drops. I don't know if it's senior day and everything that goes into that, how emotional it is. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what caused that. You had 16 points at the half. But but the reality is this is a team that gives up as much yardage per play defensively as Bowling Green. You should blow them out, and ultimately you did blow them out. Okay, four, 40 to 7 is 40 to 7. Okay, so so but here's here's looking at the big picture, here's my overall thought and why I find this to be encouraging. Okay. As frustrating as it was early on with some of the stuff going on offensively, listen, guys, forget running the ball. Just, just, just forget it for this year. Just forget it. It ain't gonna happen. Just they can't. They can't do it. They can't do it. Part of it's running back injuries. Part of it's offensive line injuries. Part of it's offensive line in general. Uh, I, I don't. They can't run the ball. So just forget about it. It ain't happening this year. So that's a big picture issue, and we'll touch more on it later. But, but overall, here's what I have to say: when you can play as as spotty as they did in long parts of this game offensively and still blow a team out 40 to 7 that's a really good sign when you cannot play a plus ball offensively and blow a team out 40 to 7 i think that's an encouraging sign as far as where we are as a program and i feel like we're starting, you know, there's these markers I talk about, about how to get Notre Dame to break that glass ceiling and be at the lower end of the elites rather than the top end of the really good, pretty darn good teams, which is where we're sitting right now. And one of those markers that I look at as an indicator is, are you putting away teams you need to put away? So yeah, you had the Michigan situation. What happened against Virginia Tech the next week, I think, was ultra predictable given the Michigan debacle. I, I was sitting in the stands emotionally deflated, so I imagine the players were struggling as well. Outside of that, now you've blown, you've blown a few teams out in a row. Like It's a really good sign when you're to the point where you're blowing out teams you're supposed to blow out. And for how many years has one of my complaints on this show been, when you got a team you need to blow out, Notre Dame doesn't blow them out. Well, I think you're starting to see a change there, and we're starting to be more definitive in some of these games and really showing some quality depth and and blowing some teams out you got to kill. So overall, I think that's super encouraging. So that's my big picture takeaway. They're a bad team. They're just not good. They have one offensive weapon. You shut him down. They're horrible defensively, give up as many yards per play as Bowling Green and BVG, so you did what you should do. But I like the fact that you weren't that sharp and still put up 40. I do. And I I put out a couple tweets over the weekend, and you know, uh, some tweets take off and some don't land right, and others just kind of fly. It's really random how some tweets just pick off and get retweeted and blow up. And I had two of them this weekend that they did kind of blow up. And they hit a chord with me, and that's why I wrote them, obviously. And and the first one was a tweet about overall stability in the program. And Notre Dame's in the best place stability-wise they've been in in about 25 or 30 years about the overall program as a whole, where it's at. Now you're looking at possibly three straight seasons of 10-plus wins. 
And, and there's some stability there as far as where the basement is. And I think that's encouraging. And my exact tweet was something about the Notre Dame program's as stable as it's been in a very, very long time, period. But we got to learn how to take the next step. And I, I just think that's where we're at now. The three-plus years of 10-plus wins is absolutely – that's fantastic. Nobody's going to say that's not good. You got to take the next step. You got to take the next step. You got to find a way to win a game you're not supposed to win. You got to find a way to make a statement on the road somewhere. Like, that's the next step. That's one of those markers. Just like I, I indicated, blowing out teams you, you should blow out is a marker. Another marker is, okay, you're raising the basement of your, your situation here as far as if you're not a playoff team, where are you going to be? That you, you just got to get over this hump. You got to find a way to win one of these ball games and crack through that ceiling, let everybody know we can do it, and it can build from there. But you got to get through that wall, and we're just not doing it. And that's incredibly frustrating. But overall, you can't question the stability of the program. It's in a really good place. How do you take that next step? And that's the question I'm asking. And as the years go by, I continue to ask. You could accidentally win a big game on the road sometime between 2012 Oklahoma and now. How, are, how do you not accidentally catch good breaks and win one of these games? So it, it's extremely frustrating that we haven't even gotten one of those since Oklahoma 2012. Seriously, ask yourself, when is the last time Notre Dame beat a team they weren't supposed to beat? I can't, I can't really think of it. I can't really think of it. When's the last time you said to yourself after a Notre Dame game, man, I didn't know we had that game in us. Look how good we did. It surprised me. Look, at look, we're playing better than I thought we could play. When's the last time you said that? So these, these are bigger picture things. And so some of these markers are being achieved and they're in place. But you got to find a way to get over that hump. And to that end, the second tweet that I put out that got out into circulation was saying... It's perfectly possible and reasonable to do these two things at the exact same time. This isn't an and or. It's certainly reasonable for a Notre Dame fan to do these two things at the exact same time. One, appreciate the modernization Brian Kelly's given to this program in terms of getting us up to speed, competitive nationally, in terms of strength and conditioning counseling program with the mental health professional for the team, nutrition, facilities, upgrading the recruiting, uh, the recruit, the entire recruiting operation, okay, getting, uh, getting some higher level depth talent in the doors, okay, all these things are encouraging. Brian Kelly inherited a lot of not good features with this program when he took it over. It's perfectly fair to applaud and thank him for all of the upgrades he made so far and to also be incredibly frustrated that he's in year 10 and we still don't have a major bowl win, right? It's perfectly fair to be living and breathing both of those at the exact same time. It's not one or the other. 
You don't have to pick one. It's, they're both true. They're both true. I appreciate these upgrades. I also say, man, this is Notre Dame. How the hell do you go 10 years without winning a major bowl game and you're still got a job? Right? And, and I think both of those are, are from the heart. They're both accurate. They're both true. And it's how I feel. I can appreciate the, the tough situation BK inherited and all these upgrades over the years. But this is Notre Dame. And ultimately, you're not judged by an undefeated season that results in nothing in the trophy case or a bunch of 10 and 2s playing in no-name bowl games. Ultimately, nobody cares about that. Short term, it looks great. In 50 years, those two 12-0 seasons are just going to blend in with everything else because there's no hardware to go with it. This is Notre Dame. You're not playing for a division title, a conference title. It's You're not playing for that. You're playing for the big trophy. That's the way Notre Dame wants it. That's the way it is. That's the bar, right? So both of these are fair at the same time. I'm not going to let people box anybody into where you can't live both at the same time. You you don't just have to say Brian Kelly's made these improvements. Now it's okay. We never win a big bowl game or a big road ranked game. So I, I think it's perfectly fair to feel both. And I do feel both. And apparently a lot of people do because that tweet circulated around a lot of it. So I think I hit a chord there. It's both. And it's fair to feel both. So we got to figure out how to break that glass ceiling. So let's get back into BC. Here's the first thing. Thanks for all the seniors. I mean, a lot of these guys have been around for all the peaks and valleys for 2016, all the way up to a playoff appearance. And it's been a lot. These guys have gone through and a lot of changes. I credit them for sticking with it um, and bringing some pretty high level results uh, as they exit. Now, here's the other thing. And I think this is very, very important. This senior class. Now we're in a position, since the playoff's not going to happen, where the best possible gift these seniors can leave the underclassmen with is this 18-game home winning streak. Last loss being Georgia, September of 2017. And I think this is really important. Um, you, you got these seniors that curated and took care of this, uh, the ownership of this 18-game home winning streak, and now they're leaving it to the underclassmen. And with that, it's a fantastic gift to be leaving. And what I like about it is they're leaving it with a sense of responsibility that passes on to the underclassmen. Who wants to be the group that allows this streak to be broken? And so I, I, this is a, a very special gift that they're leaving these guys and one that comes with a great responsibility. You don't want to be the one to, to drop that streak. And so if it isn't going to be playoff contention, these guys leave the program's hands in. This is probably the next best thing. And I think it's very important. They ran through, got this win, another season, no losses at home. You got to make it be known. Nobody comes into our house and beats us. It ain't happening. That's not what happens here. You come here, you lose. It's our house. We win. You don't push us around in here. You got to be able to own your own house before you even think about going anywhere else and taking over anybody else's. And so I really like the fact that this is being passed along for the younger guys to take care of and maintain. That's why it was so important to me. 
to maintain the 30-point and under streak uh, that the defense had. I thought it was a great bar, a great motivational tool, something you could pass on group to group. Too bad Michigan happened. Nobody decided to play that week, but this is the next best one. It ain't playoff. It's not the 30 points, so this is the next one. But I like having these kind of internal, intrinsic things that are bars and their expectations and their things that could be passed on, things to be proud of. I think it's important, and I admire the seniors for passing this streak along to the younger guys. Notre Dame now has three straight wins of 30-plus more for the first time since 1989, which is, that's impressive to me. I don't, I don't care who you're playing. It's not that easy to beat teams by 30-plus. We've done it three weeks in a row, and one of them uh, was a one-loss ranked team who's difficult to play. So these are encouraging signs. I think overall, especially early, the offense was inefficient. But if you end up with 40 points when you had 16 at the half, four field goals, a turnover on downs inside to five, it's it's pretty solid. I mean, yeah, I would have liked 70 points, but I mean, it is what it is. So it, you can't nitpick the final score that much. Even I can't do that. I mean, come on. I'll tell you one thing offensively that I'm losing my patience for is the eight penalties for 54 yards. It's just the offensive line dead ball penalties are totally unacceptable. I, I don't I don't understand. I know we have backups in there playing now. I understand all that, but it, it can't be this hard to just understand the snap count. Like this is remedial, this is basic. It bothered me so much and I feel like I'm seeing these flags so much. I thought to look it up. Guess in your guess in your mind how many false starts Notre Dame has had this year through 11 games. Just guess. I'll give you a minute. Do, 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 do. Guess how many? 29 false starts through 11 games. 29. That's, that's outrageous to me. 29 false starts in 11 games? I, I can't even wrap my mind around how that's possible. But it's bad, and I don't like it. So stop it. Something else as we discuss Notre Dame offensively that I wanted to bring up, and this, this is a short-term thing and a long-term thing, and I want to be very, very clear on this, okay? For the fourth straight game in a row now, Ian Book is Notre Dame's leading rusher. 12 for 66 yards in this game, five and a half a carry. And so here, here's, here's the deal. We have three blowouts and then the Virginia Tech ugly after Michigan situation, okay? And so in, in all four of these contests, Ian Book's being the, been the leading rusher. And it's for a bunch of different reasons. The offensive line, inefficiency issues even before the injuries, inefficiencies after the injuries to the offensive line, injuries to the running backs. Like, I understand all this stuff. And here's my thought. I think you could win the next two games you're going to have over Stanford and whatever junior college you play in the Camping World Bowl. That we'll get into that later. But I think you could get to your 11 and two this year without a running game, just because of who we play and how bad Stanford is defensively. And then I don't know who else you're going to play in the Camping World Bowl, but it's not going to be a world beater, or they wouldn't be in the Camping World Bowl. 
So you might be able to win the next two games here and go 11-2 and two with no running game. And your, your quarterback, who's not known to be... Uh, he's not Lamar Jackson running, okay? That's not a part of the a big part of the offense. He's just doing what he has to do. Short term, we could get by. Long term, this is one of my bigger concerns about the program. I, I'm just not impressed with the offensive line play in the run game overall. I know that the injuries have complicated judging it somewhat. But I don't think they were that good before the injury. So I'm not allowing that to be the excuse and not a concern for me. So long term, this is not sustainable. Notre Dame's not going to win 10, 11 games every year with the quarterback as leading rusher. It ain't going to happen. So for the short term, find what works. Go with it. Find a way to win two games. I mean, there's nothing else you could really do with only two games left. And I think they can do that for the next two games. But long term, you got to figure out the running game. I'm not impressed with the offensive line. Offensive line, you, yeah, 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 I know. Run the ball. Open some holes between the tackles, okay? Jones, 61 yards, and Ian Book, 66. I, I, just, don't, I, just, I just don't like having my quarterback that's not known to be a, a runner lead the team in rushing. That's a red flag long term. Has to get better. The other thing I don't understand is, it's clear to me Jafar Armstrong's not healthy. They keep saying he's healthy. He's barely getting any touches in any plays. So don't tell me he's healthy. He ain't healthy, obviously. So all of this is contributing to the rushing numbers I don't like. You're just too far into the season. You just have to do what it takes to win two more games. Figure it out in the offseason. Get your offensive line healthy. Get the running backs you do have healthy and then bring Chris Tyree in here and hand him the ball early and often. That's what I'd do. So the the traditional run game leaves a lot to be desired. There's multiple. It's a multifaceted problem with no easy solutions for this year. Um, so you just got to do what you got to do to win two more games. And, and so the passing game looks better now. It looks like there's more flow. Ian Book looks more comfortable back there. He's extending some plays. He's not panicking. He's not bailing too quick. I, again, for the life of me, I just don't understand why all this kicked in after two losses. I just, I, I've ran it through my brain a million times. You just needed one decent drive to get a program-changing win at the end of the game against Georgia. Couldn't do anything. And then Michigan was a total no-show. And I just, I, I don't understand how that happens. I don't understand why that happens. I'm happy that it looks better now. But it's too late now. You're pitching a tent for the in your pants for the Camping World Bowl. So it's good, but it's extremely frustrating. And that's never going to change for me. It's never okay to lose. It's never okay to lose. Remember that. Ian Book, 26 of 40, 239, six-yard average, three touchdowns, 72 rating. Here's what I do like, though. I like how spread around these, these passes were. Komet, seven for 78 in a touch. Fink, seven, 71 in a touch. Claypool, seven, 60 in a touch. So I like that diversification. Again, something else I don't understand. 
Chris Fink back in the mix, looking like his old self, making plays, opening things up over the middle. I I don't understand where that was in the beginning of the year through these two losses. I just don't understand it. These are upperclassmen guys. I don't know why this is all kicking in after two losses. It's frustrating. I'm happy it's happening now, but I'm frustrated it didn't happen when you had something to prove nationally. But overall, the passing offense does look better than it did the first half of the year. There is no running game. You're just going to have to make this work, patchwork it together, and win two more games. And I think it's poss- It's totally reasonable to do so. There's no reason to lose to Stanford. They're garbage. We'll get to it on the back end of this show, how bad they are this year. And then I'm not afraid of whoever it's going to be in this bowl game because it it's a third-tier bowl. So who are you going to get that I'm afraid of? Nobody. That's the answer. So so they're patchworking it together, make it work, win two more games. It's the best you can do in your current situation. I can't go through the offensive uh, information without talking about my main, my main man, R2, Rocket 2.0, Braden Lindsay. Listen, Braden Lindsay is averaging over 24 yards per touch in 14 total touches. And so it's very clear to me the guy's electric. I'm never going to stop accepting kudos for calling for him to play more even last year because speed wins. Speed always has won. Speed's always going to win. And you can't teach it. Speed is speed. I do not understand why this kid does not get more touches offensively and in the kick game. Don't understand it. We'll never understand it. You could tell me uh, whenever I say this, all these coachy coach types. I coach D3 football, so I'm going to tell you that Braden Lindsay wasn't ready or mature enough. All I know is whenever he gets the ball, something could happen that changes a game. And you want to give it to him 14 times in 10 games because he missed one with the concussion? 14 touches in 10 games is not enough for the fastest kid on your offense. I don't care what any of you tell me. There's football minds way smarter and more advanced than me. Speed kills. And I don't understand why you're not letting it kill more people more often. Give the kid the ball. Give him the ball. It is not hard. The more touches he gets, the more chances he has to change a game. 14 touches in 10 games is not enough for a kid like this. I don't understand. Somebody's really got to explain to me my, why he's not involved in the kicking game at all. Even if you say, oh, punts are too risky, we want Fink to keep doing that, fine. Why can't Brayden Lindsay catch a kickoff and just pick a lane and run as fast as he can? I don't think this is beyond his skill set. So I don't understand the fear of doing that. But to me, 14 touches in 10 games is not nearly enough for the fastest kid on your offense. I don't understand it. I'll never understand it. I was standing on this hill even before the Clemson game saying, let your fastest kid sneak up on everybody, run a fly pattern, change the game. And I'm the crazy one, apparently. Let's move it on to Clark Lee's defense. And I, again, it's like a broken record. I say it all the time. Clark Lee is clearly the star of this entire coaching staff. 
He really is. It's the one thing you can rely on and count on. I have to say, outside of Michigan, because that still happened, it's still burned into my mind. I will never get over it till the day I stroke out and die. I never will. I, I just can't. I will never get over that. However, outside of that, he's the closest thing to a sure thing in this program right now. And, and there's some things about this week's effort that I really think need to be pointed out that, again, are one of the markers and indicators I'm looking at of us moving from that top-level tier of pretty darn good into breaking the glass into that bottom tier of borderline elite. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point out one specific area that showed itself in this game that indicates that arrow is pointing up. And so we will get to that in a minute. But the starting defense has allowed four touchdowns the past four games combined. I'm not talking garbage time. I'm talking about starters. Four touchdowns the past four games combined. Here's the other one. Now, this will blow your mind. We all think about last year's defense and how good it was. Check this out. Notre Dame's allowing 18.2 points per contest right now through 11 games. Guess how many points they were allowing through 11 games last year? Again, this is a quiz for you. Take a second and think about it. If you guessed 18.2 points, you would be exactly correct. So you look at that defense we all loved last year. They're putting up 18.2 and 18.2. Total credit to Clark Lee. He's got these guys playing top-level good defense for the most part. I talked in the Boston College preview about how Dylan was their only playmaker on offense. He's a bowling ball. He gets a lot of yards. That is their offense, and that if Notre Dame can shut it down, they're going to win this game easily. Well, that's exactly what happened. He came into this game averaging 145 yards per game. He was held to 56 yards by the Notre Dame defense. You combine that with a 25% havoc rate, Against BC, one out of every four plays, that's a pretty impressive stat. And winning the turnover battle two to nothing. And you got yourself a blowout. And another great performance by Clark Lee in his defense. Fantastic. I can't say enough about Clark Lee. But what stood out to me overall in this ball game is the depth of the defensive line is really starting to show. I mean, we're just getting beat to hell. Guys are getting nicked and dinged. Hayes is already out for the year. Aquar is out. Kareem is a warrior. He keeps getting dinged and keeps coming back for more because he's a true warrior who I respect and love. And, but then you got these guys stepping up and making plays, making there be no drop-off in production. You got Lacey. You got Ade. You got even Cross getting in the mix. It's encouraging to see. Adi has six tackles, a sack, and a forced fumble, three tackles for a loss. Now, that's impressive. That's no drop-off between the guy ahead of him, and then it's your time, and you got to make plays. So, so that's where the overall depth that I always talk about Notre Dame needing to build so that there's not that big of a drop-off or we could just keep rolling when we have these injuries. Maybe in – well, not maybe – particularly on defensive line, especially on the ends, I think you're starting to see that quality depth coming through and having an impact. 
That's another one of those markers and indicators you look for for a team trying to break in from the very good to the bottom of the elites. That's something I look for is that quality depth. Too many years, Notre Dame's in a position where they get a couple starters dinged and it goes from great to horrible because there's nothing behind it that can step in and play. So overall with the defense Saturday, I was most impressed with the depth of that defensive line being tested, guys playing more snaps than they're used to, and holding their own. That's a really good sign. Bilal had eight tackles, Aloe had seven, Awusu had seven, Drew White continues to emerge with seven tackles, Hamilton, three tackles and an interception. He was on, I saw some tweet about something player, position players of the week or whatever, and Kyle Hamilton's there. How much does it warm your heart as a Notre Dame fan to see a safety on the National Position Players of the Week awards? And not only is it a Notre Dame secondary player, but he's also a true freshman, 18 years old. The ceiling on this kid's unbelievable, but enjoy him for two more years because he's not going four, he's going pro. So enjoy him while we got him. Can't. What I'm excited to see is obviously physically he's going to get better. He's going to develop better intuition where to be. What I like more than anything is I can't wait to see his leadership of the secondary and of this defense. It's going to be his job to have. I think he's up for it. It's something you need to grow into. You can't just come in as a freshman and be that guy. He's going to grow into it. I can't wait to see it. Notre Dame needs more players that could step in as freshmen and contribute on this level. Give me two more on defense, a couple more on offense. Now you're cooking. That's what you need. And you just might have it with the next two recruiting classes. That's the other thing. We held them 9-21 to passing, 63 yards and an interception, 43 rushes for 128 yards, three per carry. That's winning football. I mean, you're, you're, you're doing what you got to do. So another week and another impressive outing from Clark's Lee, De Clark Lee's defense. I am particularly impressed with the depth on the defensive line and younger guys emerging and not being overwhelmed by the moment, seizing it and making plays. Ade is number one in my book this week for that. Three tackles for a loss, six total, sack, forced fumble. Have yourself a day. Fantastic effort. You know what a freak I am about special teams play, and so I got to give credit to Dorr. This was a big question mark heading into the year. He was four for four on field goals, four for four on extra points. Love it. The operation's clean, making all the kicks. I can't ask for more than literal perfection in that regard. Um, the the You know what he is? He's 10 of 11 going back all the way to the Bowling Green game. So Jonathan Dorr and place kicking was one of those fears we had, an uncertainty, air, uncertain area coming into this season. It seems like that is stabilized. And he's a young kid. That bodes very well for the future. But for right now, He's progressing, he's making his kicks, and that's all I can ask. One other note on special teams, Bo Bauer. Bo Bauer on these kick coverage units, Bo Bauer has what I like. He's one of those kids looking to knock your face off into next year on every kick opportunity, and I absolutely love it. He's flying around like a rocket looking to take your head off. 
I absolutely love it. And he has that swag and the way he carries himself. He's just always cocked and ready to unload in your face. And I absolutely love it. And I want more guys to have that kind of energy. So let's move on to Stanford a little bit. Then we're going to get into some other notes and topics. So, so here's the first thing with the Stanford game. There was some question about what time it was going to be. Looks like this game is going to be 3 p.m. Central. I'm Central time. 3 Central on Fox. Which two points on that. One is. That is perfect for watching Michigan-Ohio State because that game will be ending at like 2.30 because theirs is an 11 o'clock start, and that'll lead right into our game. So that's fantastic. The negative is this game normally would have been primetime except Stanford's so bad, and honestly, we're not in playoff contention, so Utah gets the primetime night slot. You know, the, the ratings juggernaut that is Utah. But when you're not in playoff contention, you don't get the primetime slot. That's what you get when you lose two games. So anyways, it'll work out. You could watch Michigan-Ohio State as a good lead-in right into Notre Dame-Stanford. Now, here's this is interesting with Stanford because here's the deal. Coming into this year, there were two road venues that we play in regularly that Brian Kelly has not won in. One of them's the big house. We clearly saw how that went. Brian Kelly cannot win there, cannot prepare his team to play there for whatever reason. He can't. Cannot. The other place, Palo Alto. He's 0 for 4 against Stanford. And that's really a big killer. When you think about Brian Kelly going 0 for 4 at Stanford, here's the bad part about that. Think about the way Notre Dame's schedule works out. When we play Stanford at home on the rotating years, it's usually in the middle of the season or later in the season. Fine. When we play them on the road, it's always been the last game of the year recently. What a killer it is to go 0 for 4 and have one of the losses be the last game of the year every year. That's a killer. It kills all your momentum going into bowls. It kills if you're in the conversation with what, like the one year. You're in the conversation with one loss and then you lose there at the last game and then you're out of the running. So that's a real killer to not be able to win there at the end of the year. <clears throat> And so Kelly's looking to get off that 0 for 4 skid, and what a great opportunity to do it against the 4 and 7 and in last place Stanford Cardinal. They're in dead last place in the Pac 12 North. This is an absolute must win. It's a great opportunity. Stanford's all beat up and bad, anyways, even if they weren't beat up. They're just bad. They're all over. I watched these Pac 12. Late night game, they're, Stanford's good for a little bit, horrible for a little bit, mediocre for a little They're all over the map. They've lost three games in a row. They're four and seven, dead last in the North. They got injuries all over. It's, quite frankly, it's a mess. This is not David Shaw Stanford from five or seven or eight years ago. It's not. The recruiting hasn't kept up to the level that it was. They got injuries. They're just, they're just not that good. 
statistically, here's how big the mismatch is. Overall, Notre Dame's offense is 15th in the country. Stanford's is 110th. They are 123rd in the running game, averaging just over 100 yards a game. Defensively, they're 70th and worst 16th. They're allowing 29 points per game. Their pass defense is 118th in the country. So you're looking to get right in Palo Alto. They're down. They've lost three in a row. They're not playing for anything. They're four and seven. Bad year. Injuries. Costello, he's questionable. I don't know what the deal is with that. They're, they're just not the Stanford they used to be. You need to go in there and win handedly. And I think we have a good chance to. We're passing the ball pretty well right now, and their pass defense is terrible. Take full advantage of that. So... I mean, everything's sitting there right on a tee for Notre Dame and Brian Kelly to be able to break this streak, uh, unlike the Big House one. Everything's pointing in your favor. They're really, really down. They're really, really injured. They're really, really not good. And it's a fantastic chance to end on a high note at 10-2 and and go from there. That's all you could do right now. And I fully expect us to do it. So this needs to be the year. If ever there was going to be a year for Brian Kelly to break the 0-4, for this is it because they're not good. All right, let, let's go over a few other notes, and then we'll do an always annoyed, shall we? Here's the first thing. I did like the subtle throwback unis. I mean, there were little differences. Like, if you knew what you were looking for and at, you could notice them. I had no problem with them. I thought they were cool throwbacks. I mean, it was nothing gaudy or outrageous. It wasn't Oregon out there. Um but anything that throws it back to that era of winning, then I'm all for it because at least we actually won big-time stuff back then. So I had no problem with that. I also wanted to give my review of the secondary broadcast on NBCSN. Everybody was talking about this, how it was going to be synced up with the radio call. It was a good way to avoid Doug Flutie especially in Boston College Week where you knew they were going to make a big deal about him making one lucky throw and living an entire life off of it. And, and so here's my review of this concept. I switch back and forth between NBC and then the NBCSN feed and played around with them. So here's my overall thought. It's awesome to have another option to be able to avoid Doug Flutie completely if possible. So that's already a home run that you gave people the option to still see the game on TV and not have to listen or see or deal with Doug Flutie. That is a good thing. Overall, I liked it. I think it was a success. However, I do have a few tweaks that would bring it from successful to a guaranteed home run. And here, here are my critiques. One is... When the game is actually being played, when there's snaps, the radio call needs to be covering that. I can't be listening to chit-chat about being a Notre Dame fan for your whole life on a couch while there's plays going on. So you need to sync up whenever there's actual gameplay. I need two things. Well, I need three things. One, the full radio call. I cannot be missing the call of what's going on listening to people talk on a couch about how long they've been Notre Dame fan. Not the right time for that. So I need the radio call every time there's a play happening with no exceptions. I also need a full screen 
on the actual game. I don't, I'm not interested in seeing people on a couch when the game's being played. And I'm definitely not interested in seeing a four inch square showing what the crowd's doing in the middle of plays. I don't care. So you got to make sure you don't lose the meat and potatoes here. So if you really want to steal my viewership totally from NBC, which I'm open to, you got to one, have the radio call, not miss any plays, cover every play. Two, get rid of those little boxes and give me the full game screen, just like NBC. And three is, you can't get stuck on these camera angles that are behind the line of scrimmage so I don't see the depth of the yardage of what's going on. So if you could clean up those, absolute home run, I have no reason for the regular NBC broadcast. But once you started getting too chit-chatty during the game about things that don't matter... And, and then you're showing the crowd on half the screen instead of the game, then you're starting to lose me a little bit. So if they could clean up those aspects of it, you have a home run. And it's nothing against, I think they did a good job. Jessica did a good job. Darius, fine. Dalen Hayes out there, that's a unique piece, having an active player. Do I'm fine with all that, but you can't chit-chat through the game. You got to give me the live radio call during the plays. That You just have to. You, or you're going to lose people. You, you just have to. That's number one. And and so if they could make these minor tweaks, it's an absolute home run. So overall, first try, good try. But you got to make these changes or you're, you're not going to keep all the people that were checking it out. Now, I know a lot of people, you know, the playoff rankings for this week haven't come out. But there's a lot of people who are frustrated where Notre Dame's landing in these rankings. Uh, and that they're behind a three-loss team and all this other stuff. And uh, I'm just gonna give I'm just gonna give the same answer I've been giving. When you lose the two biggest games on your schedule and one of them by 100 points in prime time, you don't get to complain. You don't get to complain. If you take care of your business, the, the, the committee wouldn't be in a position to devalue you if you make them value you by winning. And we didn't do it. So I can't complain about it. When you lose your two biggest games and one of them by 978 points, you don't get to you don't get to complain. You forfeit your team forfeits the right to complain when you lay that egg. Period. Now, do I totally understand the rationale of having Notre Dame with two losses behind a team with three losses? No. Uh, I, I, I don't understand that. But what I've always said from the beginning in this show is if you give the playoff committee an opportunity to screw you as Notre Dame, they will totally grab it and do so to cater to all their partnerships with these Power Five conferences. So you cannot let that happen. I talk about that even with one loss. We're talking about it with two I talked about not overvaluing these wins against bad teams like Duke and whatever and Navy and Boston College. Obviously, the committee's not overvaluing them. You got three 30-plus blowouts, one against a, a ranked team, and you're still behind a three-loss team. That's what happens when you're Notre Dame and you're not in the playoff hunt. You're out of sight, out of mind. You don't matter in the big picture. They step right over you, and that's just what happens. 
We're the only ones who could stop it from happening. You cannot allow, you cannot give the committee an opportunity to downgrade Notre Dame. You can't because they'll take it and they're doing it. We got to take care of our business. That's the only way to ensure this goes fairly with the committee. And we didn't do it. So you get what you get. And it seems like nobody wants to pay attention to this outside of Notre Dame because it's the first lame argument anybody makes against Notre Dame. And it's their schedule. If you look at opponents ranked at some point this year, Notre Dame's played seven. Ohio State five, Penn State five. LSU four, Georgia four. Notre Dame's played seven, okay? If you want to look at currently ranked teams, Notre Dame's played three along with Ohio State and Georgia, okay? So the schedule's not the problem. It's that you lost your two biggest games, and one of them was by 100 points. So there, there's – you just – the schedule was plenty tough enough and has some teams on it, but you, you can't lose those two games and then complain. doesn't work that way. And this discussion ultimately leads me to the bowl discussion. And uh, listen, I don't understand. I've tried to do the research, and the more I look into it, the more confused I am about the ACC bowl agreements and their contracts and all of these bizarre stipulations that are bumping Notre Dame out of a New Year's Six Bowl. And some people are saying Virginia, who we beat, could be in that spot. I don't even begin to understand what goes into all these contracts that you would end up in a situation where Notre Dame beats a team, has less losses than a team, and 100% more of a national worldwide following than a team, and they could be the ones in a New Year's Six Bowl. So I don't begin to understand how that's even possible or who agreed to what. But I don't understand. If you can explain it to me in layman's terms, go for it. But I don't, under, I don't, under, I don't, I don't understand how this is happening. So I am frustrated with it, and I'm going to get to that frustration in a second. And so for now, it looks like you're going to the prestigious Camping World Bowl, which used to be the meaningless Russell Athletic Bowl which used to be the pointless champ sports bowl, which used to be the non-existent Mazda bowl before, after it was the Micron PC bowl, after it was the CarQuest bowl, after it was the Blockbuster bowl. So in case you're wondering just how prestigious this game is, that's what it is. And so this is where ultimately I get into the, the following dilemma. Here's, here's the existential problem I have and the frustration I have with this year in particular. Okay, I'm, I'm an advocate of the theory. It's never okay to lose. Uh, I know that's a foreign idea for all the participation ribbon people around, but it's never okay to lose, especially if you're Notre Dame and one loss could knock you out all your dreams. But here's where I have the problem. I was sold and told by a lot of the Notre Dame fans and the media and the talking heads that if Notre Dame ended up 10 and 2 this year, that that would be okay. And the reason it would be okay was 10 and 2 would get Notre Dame into a New Year's Six Bowl 
where, yeah, it's not the playoff, but at least it's a New Year's Six major bowl that would give Notre Dame the opportunity to finally beat a good opponent, gain some national credibility, and finally end that 80-year no-major-bowl winning streak that hangs over Notre Dame like a black cloud. So that was the theory, was that, okay, 10-2, not a playoff berth, but worst-case scenario, you're going to get a chance to knock that big bull monkey off your back. Well, fast forward, and here we are with two losses in a third-tier, nobody-gives-a-crap bowl. That sucks. That sucks. And so it's just turning into a very frustrating season of lost opportunities. And, and now we're in a bowl where you, you, you're not going to prove much. I don't care who it is. And I'm not listening to anybody tell me this game's anything other than a third-tier bowl game. Oh, what do you mean third-tier? Tier 1 playoff. Tier 2 New Year's 6. Whatever this is, is Tier 3 apparently. And so you're not going to play an opponent where a big win over them is going to get you national momentum, credibility, and respect. And so in that respect, I'm incredibly frustrated. I'm incredibly frustrated. I, I just am. Because even what I was sold as the secondary consolation prize to a playoff berth isn't happening. So it's, it's just incredibly frustrating. I'm over here pitching a tent in the camping world bowl. Come on. Come on, man. Ten years and I'm doing the Russell Athletic Camping Bowl. Come on. Like, it's fine to be frustrated with that. Ten years in and I'm in the camping world bowl. Come on, man. Seriously. And you know, you know what else? Here's the other thing that this impacts. I say on this show all the time. Notre Dame better watch out. Even with one loss, I'm on the record saying I do not think Notre Dame makes the playoff with one loss on their resume. Turns out, you need one loss just to make a New Year's Six game if you're Notre Dame. So if you thought I was crazy and that I wasn't thinking clear all these years where I've said one loss, Notre Dame's out of the playoff, they need one loss just for the New Year's Six if this is how it's going to be. And so that's the other part of this. If you thought I was crazy for that, two losses isn't even good enough for New Year's Six. You're going to have to have one loss just for that. So keep that in mind because I think it's all relevant here. But uh, I'm sorry. I'm incredibly frustrated. Even at 10-2, and two, which is a solid year, you're, you're not playing in a game that moves the needle. And that's incredibly frustrating. Notre Dame cannot afford to lose games. I mean that in every possible sense of the word. So get your tents ready, get your, you know, whatever you do, get your firewood ready to camp out for the Camping World Bowl. I, I just, it's incredibly frustrating how uninspiring whatever this bowl game is going to be. It really is. Notre Dame can't afford losses. They, they just can't. You got to force these people's hands. Here's something I want to finish up on before we get into always annoyed. Um, and this plays into the bigger picture and me talking about how 
Notre Dame can break through that gla imaginary glass ceiling I keep talking about from very good into the bottom rung of elites. And I saw this earlier in the week, and it was an interview they did with Claypool. And they were talking about this little run Notre Dame's been on the last handful of games. And um, one thing Claypool said was, he was talking about switching from the mindset of strictly business, clocking in, clocking out, going to work, to more cutting loose, balling out, playing loose, trying to make plays, having fun with your guys out there. And he thinks it's made a difference, that they're playing looser, they're playing more free, from Ian Book down to the entire offense. It really struck me because so many times on this show, I mention how much I dislike Notre Dame's workmanlike punch in, punch out, clock in, clock out, do our job type of mentality. Now, I'm not saying you can scrap that altogether. But what I am say seeing and saying is. When Notre Dame gets in these big ball games, these emotional ball games, Georgia ball games, Michigan type ball games, emotion can and will make a difference. What I see as a constant in these big games and or big road games against highly ranked teams is a failure of Notre Dame to match the emotion of the other team. Sometimes I think what that is, is a mentality and preparation type thing. That extra edge. I don't think we're doing a good job of getting that out of our team in those environments. And if you want to disagree with me, you don't have a leg to stand on. Because we don't come ready to play or play well in any of those situations and pull off wins. So I don't see how anybody could tell me that's not accurate because we don't win those ball games. So then I start to look at, well, we're good enough to win all these other games. I think, and this is tricky, when you talk about Brian Kelly, one of my criticisms of him is his ability to mentally prepare these guys in the right mind frame for these big environments. Why that's so tricky to nail someone on is it's not measurable. It's not like, oh, we don't run the ball in these big games. That's statistical. I could point to that, right? There's physical things involved with that that could be worked on. When you're talking about preparation, motivation, and mentality, those are things you can't measure. Those are nuanced things. Look at Lou Holtz. His ability to properly motivate and know what buttons to press when is what separated him from good to great. And when you're coaching in Notre Dame and you're not able to just go after every five-star who can't read and all this stuff, it's ultra important to have a coach who can pull out of these guys what he needs when emotionally to make the total better than the sum of the parts on paper. And that's one area where I don't think there's any question Brian Kelly's fallen short. You can't disagree with that opinion because we don't win any big games. So how could you? 
So if you want to play the punch-in, punch-out, clock-in, go-to-work game against Navy, fine. Boston College, fine. Bowling Green, fine. But when it comes to a rivalry game or you're going to Georgia, you're going to the big house, you're playing USC, something like that. You got Clemson coming to South Bend next year. There is nothing at all wrong with building that game up bigger than it is on paper and letting emotion be a part of it. That is one of the biggest criticisms I have of Brian Kelly. He needs to figure out a different way to prepare his teams for these big games. The evidence is in. The facts are in. Whatever they're doing is not working. The results are not there in those environments. We need to find a different way to prepare. Plain and simple. Gotta adapt. Gotta be better in this area. All right, let's do an Always Annoyed, a holiday season, ultra-relevant to this week, Always Annoyed. This Always Annoyed focuses on a phenomenon I can never understand, I've never been a part of, I never will be a part of. If you offered me free money to be a part of it, I wouldn't do it because it is not worth the headache in dealing with a bunch of idiots. And it's Black Friday shopper, shoppers. This, this is something I just don't understand. I, I don't understand these people that live in a tent in freezing conditions out in front of a Best Buy for five days to go in there and buy something that's... I don't understand it. I don't understand it. You got these people being interviewed on TV sleeping in a tent in a sleeping bag, not for the Camping World Bowl, but just to get into Kohl's to buy a pressure cooker for 30% off. I don't understand this. And they always like the, these news people interview these people and it's always the same story. Oh, how long you been out here for? I've been out here three to four days in the freezing cold. I'm sleeping in my sleeping bag. Well, what do you want to buy when the doors open? I want to get that super deep fry pressure cooker for 30% off. I don't, I don't get it. I, I totally don't understand how this is worth it. And it's like, here's what I always think of. Oh, you're going to save 30% off this pressure cooker, but you're sleeping on a sidewalk for three nights outside coals. Why don't you just work those three days and then you'll have the money you can buy it for full price and you don't have to freeze on a sidewalk. Like, there is nothing I want to buy no matter what the discount, that it's worth it for me to get frostbit and hang out with a bunch of hillbillies on a sidewalk for four nights in a row. It ain't happening. There is no discount on anything that is going to have me interacting with these fools. Have you looked on YouTube? Look on YouTube and type in Black Friday shopping fights. There is no 30% off a flat screen TV that's worth me getting shanked and trampled over. I cannot understand the total lack of civility, just lack of decency. Like these Black Friday things are a magnet for the lowest common denominator of society to act like complete jerks to one another. It, it completely goes against 
everything that holiday shopping is meant to be. When you see people beating each other over the head, running each other over with carts, doing WWF moves in the aisle, punching each other over who got the last flat screen or the last PlayStation, like it's unbelievable. I, I, I just can't wrap my mind around like nothing says happy holidays like a fist fight in the in the row at Target over a deep fryer. Like I the priorities here are a problem. Like that's what I have an issue with. I don't the holidays are supposed to be about showing the people you care about that you love them and spending time with them. Getting in a fist fight at Walmart to buy your kid a toy totally defeats the purpose of all of this. That's just not what it's about. This this whole dynamic is a microcosm of society. It's just we're forgetting the overall point. I would rather not have the TV that I got in a fist fight over and spend a half hour sitting with somebody laughing and telling stories and having a beer and enjoying their friendship. Right? Like, where are the priorities here? I simply do not understand. I was trying to do some research on this just to see if I'm exaggerating when I see something on Twitter and it's a recording of one of these fights at a Walmart over whose mullet looks the best when they're arguing over a TV or whatever. And here's some of the headlines that I found in one second on Google. Target shoppers step over perishing man on Black Friday. That's a good one. Tennessee woman assaulted at Kohl's on good, uh, not good Friday, on Black Friday. Pregnant woman miscarried after fight in Target. Yeah, that's a good one. What else do we have here? Old woman trampled at Brand Mart. I don't even know what Brand Mart is, but it sounds worse than Walmart. Old woman trampled. Black Friday shoppers trample girl into coma. Bargain shoppers send 11-year-old to hospital with multiple wounds. Walmart stampede. That's a good one. Daughters perish after dad crashes car driving with no sleep after Black Friday shopping. California Walmart becomes scene of a shooting over a Black Friday shopper's argument. Police officer ends up in hospital after Walmart brawl on Black Friday. Two perished at Toys R Us in a fight. Vegas Target shopper shot on the way home after having an argument inside the store over Black Friday discounts. Pregnant woman trampled. Exhausted worker loses control of car. Off-duty off police officer pepper sprays shoppers to stop brawl. New Jersey Walmart argument on Black Friday leads to parking lot shooting. Man stabbed at Carlsbad Mall during Black Friday. So I don't think I need to go any further. Uh, this is just full display of the lowest common denominator of people in America. These are people who value possessions over being a decent person. These are people totally missing the entire point of holiday gift giving. They are selfish. It's all about them. Nothing about civility or decency in the least. I don't understand how these people live. I will never do it as long as I live. You couldn't pay me 
two grand and say, John, here's two grand. Wait in this line at Walmart and go in there and fight all these people for a PlayStation. Not going to happen. In case you're wondering, 10 deaths a year result in America from Black Friday. 10 deaths a year. Now, I'm not saying all of them get their brains stomped out in the, you know, electronic section of Walmart. I'm talking people who have a heart attack and die later. People who do get trampled and they're already old and die in the hospital. 10 a year on average. So you tell me if there's something wrong here with this picture. Also, I hate to tell you guys, I'm not even a technological guy, but there's a thing called Cyber Monday where you don't have to do any of this stuff and risk life and limb to get a deal. Do it from your damn phone from the comfort of your home. Totally avoid all this stuff. So that's always annoyed. I don't understand this. It's, it's the worst common denominator of a uh, collection of people. I have no interest. I don't understand anybody who does. There's no deal worth it. If you're going to sleep in line four days to get something for 30% off, why don't you just work all those days instead of sleeping in a parking lot? You'll have the money. You won't need to do this for the discount. How about that idea? Crazy, I know. So that's the deal. I'd advise you guys not to do this, not be a part of it. You don't want to risk getting hurt around the holidays. It's just not worth dealing with these lunatics, so just don't do it. So as for us, we will hope Brian Kelly ends the 0 for 4 streak in Palo Alto. Stanford's down. They're garbage. I expect us to win handedly. 14 and a half spread right now. I, I expect Notre Dame to cover this. Stanford's really, really bad this year. They're really, really bad. So we need to get this win. And then what we're going to do is I have multiple things planned for all the weeks in between Stanford and the most prestigious bowl of all, the Camping World Bowl. I got some things planned and a couple guests and some things that I want to do with the free time we have without a game to talk about. So I hope you'll all stay tuned for that. It should be very interesting. Have some very insightful guests come along for the ride. All right. We'll talk to you next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving.